The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Welcome to another episode of Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Chris Smalls Angelos. Smalls, it's weird times out there right now, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Uh, you know, a lot of obviously a lot of stuff went down. Everybody kind of experienced that uh, just with this uh, pandemic, the virus and shutting down a lot of different aspects of life and probably the least important of which is the NCAA tournament. But of course, it's a great time of year and uh, it's tough for the kids to miss out on that experience. So Doing as good as we can, just trying to move forward, and I'm staying indoors. Uh, what are you up to? I mean, really, we haven't talked since you've moved into your new place. You are back in the PA, baby. We're back, we're back in PA. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in PA right now and got back right in time for, you know, luckily we moved before the tornadoes hit Nashville, and then we got here, and now, you know, everybody's on lockdown. I got to experience the Glen Mills Costco on Friday morning. It was a – I honestly wish that there was, like – film I could have watched to prepare a game plan for Friday morning at Costco. It was unbelievable, but you know, I'm just hanging in there. Smalls. I've seen some basketball since we've been back. I saw, I saw you guys play Felician and win at the buzzer. Mm. I didn't get to you guys in Holy family for the most dubious buzzer beater of, of all time. But that same day I saw SWAT and Johns Hopkins in the centennial title at Swarthmore, and that was also a buzzer beater. So in in the span of three days, I went to two basketball games and saw two buzzer beaters, and uh, it's been a pretty good uh, basketball. I mean, basketball was good, you know. And then we kind of I monitored. I watched a bunch of D three tourney games online in the first round and second round. I streamed a bunch of them, and I was real fired up to talk about it. We were going to do like a D three bracket, Smalls. I know you filled one out, and then you know now we got no sports. Now I if, did. Uh, I had Macon, Randolph Macon actually winning the whole thing. Uh, I think I had Swarthmore. I forget where I had them. Either they're getting to the title game of playing Macon or whatever it had be. So I was really excited. I was going to hit on a lot of picks, and it would have been huge for me. But uh, unfortunately, cut short. I will say, the guys on D3Hoops.com do just an unbelievable job. Like, links to all the videos. Like, they have the D3 Bracketologist Smalls at D3 Bubble. Like, I don't want to just go on on the D3 tournament for a second, but we didn't even really get to experience any D2 tournament. Like, I think you guys were on the bus, not you specifically, but you guys were on the bus up to Bridgeport when you got the news. The bus got to the hotel, and then what? You just get on the bus and turn right back around? Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was going to drive up that night once we got down. Uh, obviously, just being had to be at work for a while. Uh, and then I got the news. So we were kind of texting back and forth with uh, a couple of the assistants, keeping Coach McGee, uh, you know, uh, apprised of the situation. And they get on the off the bus and uh, one of the assistants sees Shams's tweet and just goes, you know, obviously some choice words and shows it and they get right back or no, they don't get right back on the bus. I believe they stay at the hotel that night and then come back in the morning. Well, because they hadn't, obviously it was the writing on the wall was there when the division one tournament got canceled and the NBC convention, the final four. So many of our listeners are just so probably defeated about the final four and all these coaches are going to have to spend time with their family smalls in April, like no recruiting, no final four. Like that's three out of what, four April weekends. So you got to do Easter. You know, this is going to be really tough. But, yeah, obviously you guys didn't even know because they hadn't formally announced that the D2 tournament was canceled at that point. But 
you know, I kind of wanted to talk to you about it. And, and we have some other guys, you know, Florida Southern was like a one seed in their region. And, and we had a ton of guys in the D3 tournament get wins in the first round. A couple guys make it to the Sweet 16. D2 guys getting in all over the place. Like, it was a good year for coaches that have been on the CYS podcast. But Smalls, like, I don't know. You guys were the three seed in your region. But realistically, like, as good of a season as you had, like, you could you could comfortably dream about going deep in the tournament. And I just am curious, like, you know, how are the guys? Like, how was, like, Kylan Guerra? Like, how was Prince Hickson? Like, those dudes that won 20-plus games in a row this year, and then they don't get an opportunity to do it. And it's obviously not anyone's fault, and it's it just it stinks more than anything. But, like, what were those conversations like, Smalls? Like, what did you say to those guys? Yeah, I mean, just texting back and forth a little bit. Obviously, I wasn't able to come up there. I wasn't going to drive up to the hotel. But, uh, you know, I think it's <clears throat> I think it's really tough for those guys um, obviously, and people are experiencing experience of this all over. It's not just us, but you know, you kind of work yourself. The NCAA tournament, no matter what level it is, it's the end all be all. It's like if you get in it, especially the D two D three level, you can make something happen. And I think when you have four seniors and the way we won a bunch of games this year at the buzzer, we felt like we were battle tested a little bit. And obviously, the championship in the CACC. It was exciting times. I think it was one of those revitalizing kind of, uh, you know, practices during the week. We were ready to go. We felt like we were ready to go and ready to make a run here. And it's it's tough. And I talked to a couple coaches and a couple coaches we had on these podcasts about it. I think it's like there's no closure. So you don't know what way to feel. Um, You're almost like a little numb and you're in shock. And then. I think you kind of realize your career is over, but I, and the bigger thing about it is like you're, you're off campus now. Like you can't be at your college. You can't finish out your college life. There's a, there's a lot of things that kind of go into this. And that, I think those kids were devastated about not being able to make their name in the NSA tournament and then just having to leave college altogether. <laughs> Talk about like an abrupt way to end everything. Yeah, I said to a couple people, like, obviously, Smalls, like, we were lucky enough to be managers on teams, and I was a GA on some teams that made the NCAA tournament, and there is very few things, like, walking on that court the first time, like, under the lights, like, NCAA court, and even at the D2, D3 level, I'm sure it's very similar, like, you get an opportunity, and I think about when we, you know, lost to Cornell in Jacksonville, Smalls, like, we were five seed, like, we thought we were underseeded. it was the first tournament I ever got to go to. And, like, you walk out there and it just, you know, Jim Nance is announcing the game. And, like, it doesn't matter that we were in some stupid Arena League football stadium and it was, like, you know, half full probably and we lost the game. But you just walk out there and it's just, like, it's it's your whole life. You, like, grow up watching the tournament, you know. And it's yeah. just – there's not – the buzz is just – I always have said it to people. Like, unless you've experienced it, like, it's very, very hard to explain. And, you know, I, I feel bad. I don't necessarily feel bad. I, you know what I feel bad for, Smalls? I feel bad for coaches who, like – like, I feel bad for Joe Mahalik. Like, Hofstra finally wins the CAA tournament after finishing, you know, they finished first in the league a couple times, lost in the championship a couple times. They finally break through, they beat Northeastern, and then you just don't even get a chance to play the games. And, like, it's just tough, man. You just feel for guys like that because it's so hard. We we, we try to tell people how hard it is to coach. And you and I obviously don't have head coaching experience, so we're not even, like, we're just more in the trenches about it. But, like, it's just so hard. You work all year, and it's just you and, you know, 15 guys in your staff it's like 25 people in total you know your trainer your strength coach and like you're just working towards one common goal and it stinks like in a moment it's one thing I always remember about coach Dump is like 
you never get a chance to get seasons back. Like your team will always be different season to season, you know, whether it's change in staff, change in players. Like I just always remember at the end of the year when coach Dump would say like, guys, like this is the last couple games you'll ever play with this specific group of players. And so it's really sad. And like you said, it's, you know, it's sad. Like you don't get to walk across the stage. Like I already saw some schools are doing like virtual commencements and stuff like that, which is, it seems necessary. I'm not, you know, I'm not out here saying what is and isn't necessary and I don't want to get, political or anything like that like I think we definitely should be social distancing but like I feel for guys like that because then all of a sudden like bam your college career is over and if you're not going to be a pro basketball player like you just got robbed of a chance to do this through no fault of anybody's and it's just it stinks man it's it's tough and that's why I thought for you Smalls like as a coach like of a team who legitimately had a chance to make a deep run in the tournament like you know I was curious how you felt because you like you said like you lost to Dominican in the in the CAC championship but then like you said like push the reset button. Like that was your attitude the whole day on Sunday. It was like, push the reset button. Like, let's have a good week of practice. And so it's funny to hear you say that you would have been matched up against Chris Krause. How'd you feel about that? Yeah, I was, I was excited. I mean, <clears throat> I think uh, it was coach Riley scout. I mean, I don't think I know it was coach Riley scout. So, uh, but I dove into a lot of film and obviously watching his scout. So it's one of those things like you're just preparing all week for a team uh, and you're seeing, the different stuff that coach runs and Kraus, like he runs some great stuff. I'll tell you that much. Like I really like the way Stonehill plays with their guys and the way they cut, they back cut when the ball hits the post, they just have, they really know their system. Uh, and it was going to be, I know it was going to be a battle because it's kind of like a chess match against a team like that, especially the way we play. Um, so I, I thought it was going to be fun and go up against a coach who obviously, you know, got to an elite eight just in 2016 so it's going to be a challenge and it's going to be a lot of fun and like I said the NCAA tournament anyone can win yeah you're playing games back to back like you know you you win then you play either what you would have played stack or Dominican Dominican, right yeah Yeah. and there's you know teams that you're familiar with two teams that you played this year and obviously you know you got to feel like you got a good chance against either one of them if you do get by Stonehill and then you know you already beat Bridgeport once this year you get another shot at Bridgeport if they come out of the region like it's it's tough, man. It's really it's really tough. And the D two landscape this year, Smalls was just so good. Like there was just so many good players, man. Like just so many good teams. And like, I, it'll be really interesting. And this is one thing we haven't talked about a ton, but there are some D one programs that should really like you've said this before. And I don't want to name one specific player because we've had his coach on, and I don't want him to think we're putting ideas in people's heads. But there are definitely some D one programs out there that if they need good players, like don't don't be looking for like the UNC grad transfer. You know, like. There are some really good Division II players that have a year of eligibility left or even, like, would be sit one, play two type kids that are out there, you know, that, yeah. that can really help you. That I don't, You know, I don't want to advocate taking anybody from anybody <laughs> else, but you know what I mean? Like, it's, there are really good players, and this was a really good year for Division II, I thought. Yeah, it, w- it, was. it was. It was definitely going to be fun. I thought there, you know, our region was good, but, you know, I watched a lot of other teams from other regions. I thought uh, – there were some real powers out there. Obviously, uh, you know, Northwest Missouri State, who's just an absolute dominant force. And then you had Florida Southern, Nova Southeastern, just that whole Sun Belt. Lincoln Memorial was yeah. awesome. Like, this there year. was, there's going to be, and then out West, and I don't even watch those teams, but, but like UC like, San Diego was really, really good. Susan Pacific. Like, there's a lot of good teams out there. And I think it's like anything, though. It's Division 3, D2, D1. Like, there's going to be, you know, a ton of competition and it, it would be fun to kind of see how far you can get. But like I said, it's 
it's more for the kids. I think as coaches we get depressed, but you you don't have a shelf life necessarily on your coaching career. You have a shelf life on playing. And I felt like it got robbed from everybody and it, everybody's in the same boat, but it's the way it kind of breaks. I did think the selection committee did a smart thing and not releasing the NCAA tournament field. I didn't think it was really super necessary. I do know the cynic in me, and I, I don't want to steal this because I saw Brian Snow tweet it. So I, I did think about this just in terms of being a cynic, but Brian Snow tweeted it as well. So we'll give him credit. But the cynic in me was like, you know, coaches want it for NCAA tournament bonuses. Like, oh, we would have made the field. So I should get a little bit extra money. But at the same time, like, you know, I saw some people are advocating that kids get a chance to like watch their names get called. And, I, you know, I, I see it. But at the same time, like, I think it's it's better to just kind of be done, you know, like if it really is canceled, just kind of rip it off like a bandaid and let people go about their business. And I saw a John Rostein tweet today that it's unlikely that seniors will get an extra year of eligibility in winter yeah, sports. And, you know, that stinks too. It, it seems probably the practical thing to do. It'd be very hard. Scholarship allocation would be very difficult. And, you know, you got guys going pro and some guys not, and it, it would be difficult. So, I mean, that's that's tough. And like I said, I feel for those guys out there. We do have an actual episode today too, though, Smalls, as we kind of ramble on like we do. Uh, Sean Flores, head coach of the City College of New York Beavers, which I thought was a hilarious name because they're in downtown New York. I don't know how many Beavers are there, but good guy to talk to. Uh, spent some time D3, D2, was at Stack a year before taking the job this first year. And, you know, interesting guy to talk to in the sense of like when you walk into a rebuild and you get smacked in the mouth a couple times your first year like what are you doing in the summer and now you've got all this time to try to figure it out and it's 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 interesting to me Sean, uh, then and I thought Sean was you know he's a young coach and he's he's knows his conference really well but I thought he was an interesting guy to talk to just in that regard because you know not everybody goes in and wins right away and you gotta you gotta figure it out you gotta scrap and claw and figure it out and I, I appreciated Sean's honesty about how this past year went with, for him and and how he wants to, you know, get better. Yeah, for, and for sake of time, we're going to let you guys just jump into it and have fun, and we're glad to be back, and we're excited to be back. That's true, Smalls. We are excited to be back. As I tweeted out, we're going to be back for a little while, as much as well, as long as we can. The hiatus was so Smalls could be done winning the Division Two National Championship because <laughs> for a while – Things are getting really crazy with like 5 a.m. practices plus full days of work. And, you know, I, I, I want to say like, oh, Smalls, how much do you want it? We should be recording at 4 a.m., whatever. But the, the logistics of me moving with a pregnant wife and Smalls coaching and working, like we were just on a little bit of hiatus until after the tournament was over. So, yeah. But anybody who's listening and, and if you do want to be on the show, like, hey, reach out. Create your shot at gmail.com. Create your shot on Twitter. DMs are open. Facebook, create your shot, create your shot pod on Instagram. Like, hit us up, let us know. I, I got some, hopefully, some some D1 head coaches in the pipeline for the first time in a while because they're not the busiest people in America right now. So we should hopefully be able to make some of that happen. But we're excited to be back. And, uh, like, as I always say, if you like what you hear, please do subscribe, give us five stars, leave us a review. And I uh, enjoy this week's interview with Sean Clores, the head coach of the City College of New York Beavers. And thanks, as always, for listening.
All right, we are pleased to be joined by Sean Clores, the head coach of the City City College of New York Beavers. Sean, I appreciate you joining us tonight. It's it's kind of wild out there in in America, especially in New York where you are. But uh, how are you tonight? Uh, yeah, for sure. I'm I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Um, giving me a break from from self quarantine and and from from hanging out and watching shows. So this is great. What do, what have you been watching? We we'll ask the binge watch question. I'll just skip it. What's been on the what have you and your wife been watching the last couple of days? Uh, we've been watching Succession on HBO, which which is very solid, and um, lately uh, Quantico. I think it's on uh, Channel Seven, which has been solid as well. So we're starting to run out pretty quickly, though. So I have to find some new ones. What do, what have you added lately? You're a big TV guy. What do you got on the on the docket? Yeah, I started Designated Survivor, and oh, nice. uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, like. You know, I wasn't really sure what to watch. Yeah, I might have scammed through a couple things, but I found I like Designated Survivor. It kind of reminded me of 24, a little letdown at the end of season one, but we're on to season two already. We're 5 a.m., baby. And we started at uh, we started 90 Day Fiance, so we're just going right into the trash TV, just totally embracing there not being any sports. And just I'm just telling Beth, like, hey, you have the remote for eight weeks, and then hopefully that means I can watch 100 straight days of baseball when it, when it comes back. But uh, – Sean, here's my first question, and it's a real serious one. How is your guys' mascot a beaver? Is there a story behind that? Because I just I read it, and I was like, there can't be many beavers where the school is. Like, why, why are they the beavers? Is there any particular reason behind that? That's, that's a great question, and I don't have a good answer for you. Um, if you ask anybody in the athletics department, I, I can't stand the mascot. I think it's the it, it's it's the one thing that if I could change it about City College, I would change. But, um, you know, it's been that since the beginning of the program. And I, I don't think that's a battle I'm going to win anytime soon. So <laughs> probably, uh, probably not. Beavers it is. All right. So this was your first year, a, l- a little bit of a tough year for your first year at the school. Definitely more of a rebuilding situation. But for you coming in, you know, what went right for you and, and what went wrong as you've had some time and, and now more time to kind of reflect on the end of your season? Sure. It definitely wasn't the year that we were looking for in terms of wins and losses. But one of the things I was excited about with this job was the opportunity to um, kind of build a program from scratch and, and get a fresh start, which I knew I'd have the opportunity to do here. So um, I think we did a great job of getting the right coaches in here finding the players that, that were bought in and versus the players that weren't bought in and, and keeping the right guys around and developing the identity of the program. You know, we wanted guys that would compete all the time, wanted to get better, wanted to be in the gym. We wanted to provide the resources to do that, um, which weren't readily available before, whether it was gym time, whether it was strength and conditioning coach and, you know, uh, anything. Um, so we wanted to get that mindset here. And then, really just get recruits to campus and have them understand, um, you know, what city college was and, and what we have going on here. So in, in that regard, um, thought a lot of things went well this year. Uh, the list of what didn't go well is probably a lot longer. Um, and you know, definitely a learning curve for me. Um, we we're in a lot of close games. So I think anytime you, you lose some close games, you're, you're thinking about what you could have done differently, what you could have done better. Um, so some X's and O's things that I'll certainly, look at improving for next season and, you know, even, even some of the offensive side of things, I, I tend to be more of a, a defensive minded coach. So there are probably some games where I probably needed to kind of bring in the reins a little bit offensively to, to get us where we needed to go. 
But um, really, really, it's just at this point getting the right players in here that, that fit the style and upgrading the talent and having guys understand what we're building. So um, we'll look at everything. Um, I, I could look at every single thing and say we could be better. But, um, you know, really, it's just now about recruiting, and having guys understand, hey, we might have been three and 22, but that's not that doesn't tell the whole story of what we're building. Yeah, and I know I put this in more kind of at the end of the at the end of coach speak, but it's a situation where you know for you as the season kind of goes and you're not winning a ton of games, you know how how do you focus in especially in year one with guys that like you're not super familiar with, but how do you focus on like small victories and being like, all right, what do we need to do today? Like, how am I? How do I go home and I feel decently good about whether it was practice or a game and like, hey, like I know we're not going to win every game, but like. How do you do that, Sean, especially in your first year as a head coach and, you know, your first year with this group of guys? Like, how do you kind of temper your own expectations, I guess? Well, I think how I felt at home and and how I had to feel in front of my players was probably a little bit different. Uh, There weren't too many games or or practices I came home where I felt great after it. But um, (laughs) we knew knew going into the year and and my coaches, my assistant coaches really helped me with this. We understood the way our schedule was. Our first nine games were scheduled to be on the road. Um, we were going to play in a couple of tough tournaments and had, had some, some games where we ended up being very competitive but um, couldn't get it done. I knew it could be a situation where we could have a rough start. So we said, what could we do to have the guys understand that we're getting better? And that's all we really focused on. And we kind of kept focusing on it the whole year. Hey, all we're trying to do is get better and improve every day. and we're going to compete every time we come out here. Um, and it started in practice. Like that was the big thing. I think guys kind of expected that they would just show up and, you know, be ready to go when they needed to be ready to go. And our whole thing was we're going to be the best conditioned team. We're going to be the most prepared team and we're going to compete as hard as we can. And that's going to give us an opportunity. Um, whether we pull out those games or not, that would be up to our execution. So our approach never changed. Um, even when we had the start that we did and especially after we won our first game that was that was really important for us that we came in the next day and we said nothing nothing changes about our approach it's it's the same exact thing every single time so um, our guys got that message and and stayed bought in which helped us yeah and you had a few different stops Uh, I want to go back and kind of you know understand your origin here and coaching and things like that so you have a few different stops uh, two of them being, you know, with Tobin Anderson for one year at Stack, which is a tremendous Division II program, uh, turned it into a powerhouse now. And Coach Highland, who ha- is coming off the best year in recent memory for John Jay. What did you kind of take from those two coaches in terms of incorporating that into your style of coaching? Well, I'm definitely indebted to Ryan at John Jay for giving me an opportunity. Um, you know, when I when I got started, like I, I wasn't a player. You know, I barely played in high school. I didn't. I wasn't a manager for a big college program. I wasn't affiliated with anybody really, so I didn't have any connections really to to get started. So I was just working camps and trying to get an opportunity wherever I could. And Ryan was the first one just to give me a shot and offer me a job, and that that really helped me because he kind of broke me into college basketball um, and let me do everything that I would need to do at the college level. So recruiting, recruiting, uh, running drills and practice, helping out with the travel, all the day-to-day stuff. 
So from day one, he was kind of like, I'm going to let you do as much as you can handle as long as you do it well. And that was uh, a great, you know, boost of confidence for me as someone who was brand new to it to say, Hey, as long as I do a good job, like I could keep moving on and, and really make it, you know, in college basketball. So I had no idea what I was doing my first year. I, I had no clue. I, I, no I, one does. I, I was just, I was just happy to get a job. I had left a teaching job where, you know, I, I was making decent money and I took a thousand dollar job at John Jay and my wife was probably ready to leave me. And, uh, she was, she was an awesome support, but, um, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing that first year, but you know, she gave me the opportunity to to kind of just see where it went, and and Ryan was was tremendous and just kind of boosting my confidence and saying, "Hey, here's what you need to do to be successful at this level." Um, after you know three years there, I felt like I needed um, to to get a different experience and to learn more, and I got the opportunity to work for Tobin, and you know, obviously, Smalls, you're you're familiar with with Tobin and the program, and um, you know, I learned from him what, what, what it means to be, um, you know, a winner and, and to be, you know, the program is bigger than the player and um, understood how hard it was to win. And one of the biggest things I, I've learned from Tobin that I take with me is that um, he's never totally figured it out. Like every year is a different team. Every group of guys is different. And there's always something new to figure out to make each group successful. So. Yes, there's a, a method to the madness, but at the same time, every year is different and, and brings some different challenges. So he's a guy that's always innovative, always looking to learn, always looking to get better. And if you're not in that mindset, like you're not going to make it with him very long because um, he's always looking to grow and has a ton of energy, tremendous amount of energy. Uh, and always that always has. I, I remember watching him when he was the head coach at Hamilton, like do a lecture at Hoop Group for like an hour. And I was like, holy shit, like this guy is drenched in sweat, like so upbeat the whole time. I was like, where does this come from? And I watched him do it 25 more times that summer. And and like, drink, does he like, drink coffee? Just No, he, he actually doesn't no, I drink knew coffee. It. I knew he didn't. I knew he didn't. There's people like that, man. If they drink coffee, they go off the edge. He's, he's, he's you know, he doesn't drink coffee. I mean, we had, you know, one of the early days when I was there, we went on a recruiting trip to D.C. and you know, I'd set up like four or five open gyms for us to to hit so we could see as many guys as we could. And I said, hey, I can drive down there. You know, you could do what you need to do. He was like, no, I'm good. He drove down. Uh, we went to all the games and he drove the whole way back. So you're talking, you know, about a four hour trip down, seeing all these guys for a few hours, four hour trip back, no coffee, nothing um, on the phone the whole time, ton of energy. And I'm sitting in the passenger seat, absolutely exhausted. Um, just, just ready to get home. And he looked like after we got back, he could go for about another three more hours. It's wild that he drove too. That's like the standard, like recruiting coordinator, like assistant coach Dobo job is like, if you're going somewhere with the head coach, like you're behind the wheel. That's like always what I, I mean, that was always my experience at least. Yeah, that's what I expected. But yeah, he, he kind of, yeah, he, he just, he was comfortable driving and had the energy and, you know, so I was just along for the ride. I don't really know what I did on that trip, to be honest. Let me, let me ask you this, Sean, because you mentioned like going to John Jay and taking a $1,000 job. And obviously you were teaching, I believe you were coaching at Fairfield Prep, but you also coached in like Jamaica. You coached in like the West Indies. So it must have been a situation for you where at some point you knew like, all right, I'm going to really take a shot. Like, what was that like coaching high school? And when did you kind of decide, you know what, like I'm going to give this 100% of my time? What was that thought process like? 
Well, when I was in college at, at Fairfield University, um, Ed Cooley was the coach at the time at, at Fairfield. He's at Providence now. And I got to see what Ed built at Fairfield from, from being where the program was when he got here. But that wasn't in a great place. And seeing where it was when he left, that, that got me interested in college basketball. But when I graduated, I had the opportunity to go to Jamaica for, for a couple of years. And actually, wasn't even going to coach there. Um, I thought I was putting basketball on hold. It was a volunteer opportunity. I thought I'd never get another chance to just live in another country and enjoy it. And I was just out of college. Like, when was I going to have a chance to do this? So um, I moved to Jamaica. And when I got there, I was working at this high school. Um, the, the big sports down there are soccer, track and field, and cricket. So basketball is like a distant fourth on the list. Um, it's getting more popular now. But um, I went to this high school not expecting a coach and they said, Hey, listen, we heard you coach basketball and we haven't had this team for four years. Like, what do you think about bringing it back and, and seeing what you could do? So, um, I had an awesome experience. It was great. It was probably two of the best years I could remember. But when I came back, um, my entryway was through high school and I just decided that I knew I didn't want to be a teacher. Um, yeah, I was an English teacher back where I went to high school for three years. I was at Chaminade High School when I returned from Jamaica. And it was a great school, great spot. I'm not an English teacher. So I realized that very, very quickly. And uh, I said, how can I get it to, to where I'm in a career where I can do basketball um, for as, as much of a full-time job as possible? And, and that's kind of how it started. Um, and then by my third year of teaching, I said, you know what, I, I really want to jump to the college level and, and see if I can make it or not. Okay. Something that comes up on this podcast every once in a while is that what you brought up with camps and, you know, kind of getting in the door and figuring out how the business kind of works, the industry dynamics, relationships. You said, you know, you had no idea maybe what you're doing, but what was your approach going into those camps? Uh, I don't want to say networking, because I think that that fails on so many levels. That makes it seem like it's not genuine. But how did you forge relationships in those camps? And what was your game plan kind of going in there? Great question, Smalls. Great question. Dude, I got I to roll in now, baby. Come on. I, I think the I think the being genuine part is is really important. Um, I realized that like my first year coaching at camps, I, I worked as many camps as I possibly could in my first couple summers. And a lot of the guys that I met at the time were, were people who were in very similar situations that I was in. You know, they were either just breaking into it or they were GAs or they were grad assistants, you know, or they were assistant coaches somewhere for a, a year or two. So they were guys that were very in similar spots. And now six, seven years later, they're guys who are D3 head coaches. They're D1 ops guys. They're D1 assistant coaches. So Really, I think a lot of times when you go in those camps, you're like, I have to get to know the head coach or I have to get to know this person or that person. Um, in my experience, yeah, it was great to get to know those people. But um, the, the guys that you work with that become your friends, you know, that you're working stations with, that you're hanging out with at night after camp ends. Um, you know, those are the guys that you keep. I'm sure you both have, have had similar experiences. Like those are the guys you keep in touch with now. And then those other relationships um, that you may be more interested in at the time because you think it's going to get you to where you want to go. Like those, those just naturally develop. Like guys see you're genuine. They see that you, you know, you're getting along with other coaches and that you work really hard. And um, when you go to a, that, that's how I met Tobin. You know, I met Tobin at a hoop group and we, we barely knew each other for like a few years, but then 
um, I had known a bunch of other coaches that were friendly with Tobin as well. And, and then when I interacted with him again uh, for this job, he said, yeah, I remember you from Hoop Group and, you know, you're friends with, with this person and that person. And I know them really well. So um, it all kind of comes full, full circle a bit. Um, actually, in, in fact, um, the camp, the funny story with, with Stack was um, Tobin had called me to interview me for the job. And I committed to working uh, George Mason camp in, in Virginia at the time. And I felt like an idiot because I told Tobin that I, I had to hold off on the interview because I was going to camp. And he, you know, he said, don't worry about it. I'm not in a rush. Go to camp and we'll do it when you came back. And obviously I got off the phone and I said, I'm an idiot. I just lost the job. Um, you know, little did I know that that Dave Paulson and, and Tobin coached at Lemoyne together um, very early in Tobin's career. So when I went down to coach um, at camp and, and Paulson asked what I was up to, I, I mentioned that I was interviewing at Stack and um, he texted Tobin right away and uh, put in a good word for me. Um, I ended up going home the next day and interviewing and getting the job. So um, it's kind of funny how that stuff kind of works out sometimes. but. But yeah, camps camps really helped me get in the door. So I think I, I think it does. It goes to show you and something we constantly preach is you you speak about being genuine. But for younger guys trying to break in, you don't want to just have like a set list of like, oh, I'm going to ask these general questions just to ask them, right? You get into conversation, you say yes a lot in terms of doing the different things that you need to do to perform your job, and I think naturally people see that, and the right people gravitate towards you. You gravitate towards the right people. And that's how you kind of forge your way. And yeah, there's a little luck involved. The Dave Paulson thing, I'm sure, uh, is lucky to a certain degree. But it shows like if you really want to get involved in the business and stuff like that, you have to have the right, I guess, disposition and mindset to be able to succeed. Uh, with that being said, obviously, you, you've worked at a lot of different places uh, in terms of camps and coaches, and you've seen a lot of different stuff. How did that form your philosophy on how you want your teams to play? You know, what, what kind of philosophies were influenced from maybe Tobin or maybe from a camp or a coaching clinic or something like that? And how do you come up with that game plan, uh, you know, going into your first year and so on here at uh, CCMY? Well, first, just to go back for a second to, to your being genuine and building relationships that I think one of the things I learned is, is you have to maintain that over, over time and not just reach out when an opportunity pops up or um, when it's convenient. And I think when you go to a practice or you see someone at camp or you run into them at the final four and you grab coffee or whatever the case is like maintaining those relationships over the long term is really important. And like, I've seen a lot of guys who, let those relationships kind of fall. And then when an opportunity pops up, we'll reach out and, you know, then it seems not genuine because you haven't maintained the relationship at, at other times. So um, I think that's the most important part is not just meeting guys, but being able to maintain a good relationship. And then when those opportunities come up, you know, that's when, you know, that's when things tend to happen. Um, you know, in terms of, in terms of CCNY, I think I'm still figuring that out. Um, simple is better for sure. Uh, you know, D3, we don't have a lot of time to work with our guys in the off season and there's, there's limited time on the court. So focusing on the fundamentals, focusing, uh, defensively, I, I want to press, I want to switch, um, kind of like we did at stack. Um, 
I, you know, we're playing a lot of man in the half court. Offensively, uh, I'm I'm pretty open and constantly evaluating. You know, we ran motion this year, and I like the idea of teaching guys how to play more than going through a bunch of sets. Um, at the same time, I think there are some times where, like this year, we didn't have the talent that we needed to be able to do that sometimes. Um, I probably could have been a little bit more structured in, in terms of, hey, we need to run more sets here. I need to get the ball in my two best players' hands. Um, but then again, you run into the situation of, do you want to start running 20 to 30 plays? You know, and, and yeah, Just because this situation this year dictates that, but you want to build a style and build a culture. Yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying there. Yep. So that, that was a constant battle all year. And e- even in practice, like we would go through practice and there were some drills that I did at John Jay or I did at Stack that were great. And then, you know, we just kept doing them uh, here at CCNY and they weren't working or we weren't getting the, the goals that we wanted to reach. And, and at a certain point, you kind of have to think about, OK, like what's the value of, of what you're doing in practice for your program? And, and maybe it just doesn't work here. So I think my philosophy is kind of adjusting a little bit. but. Um, in terms of we're going to be really good at the basics. We're going to be really good defensively. We're going to be in great shape. Um, we're going to press. You know, we're going to run nine or ten guys deep. Uh, I think in our league, especially in our level, a lot of teams go six or seven guys deep. So if we can be better one through ten rather than one through five, I, I feel great about what we can do. And, you know, offensively, I want to teach guys more how to make plays than um, remember plays, you know. but but. That's uh, you kind of go through the first year and and like I said I'm I'm reevaluating everything a little bit at this point so I think I think some of that depends on who we're able to bring in here recruiting wise and and what that looks like next year was was there anything this season that was really surprising to you because we talk about this all the time like you're an assistant you you work for a school for a long time and you get a head coaching job and you know you always say like hey I'm gonna do this or I'm gonna do this like I know plenty of guys that have head coaching binders for when they finally get their program. But was there ever, you know, was there anything for you? You got the job in June, like late June, which is kind of late, to be honest. But like, was there anything for you one, one day where you just like kind of like threw your hands up or like, man, I had no idea I was going to have to deal with this on a daily basis? Um, yeah, I, probably more things than I expected, um, to be honest with you. But one of the things is just how much of your time is dedicated to um, things outside of the the basketball part of the job. So like re-engaging our alumni, um, getting people on campus just totally on board with what we're doing and um, making the process smoother, whether it's admissions, financial aid, um, you know, communication between myself, my AD, the vice president. You know, those are certain things that um, just took time and, and are taking me a little while to figure out how to balance the time a little bit better. But I think that's the biggest thing. And then understanding what I can let go to my assistants and what I can delegate and what I really have to worry about. Um, that was tougher for me than I thought it was going to be. And I got better at it towards the end of the year. Once those guys got much more familiar with the type of program I wanted to build. But at the beginning it was, it was, it was definitely tough. So you kind of feel like you kind of feel like everything's on you at the beginning and you, you have to figure out, um, how to make it all work. And then once you get assistants who are acclimated and you get on page with everybody else on campus, like that starts to make things a lot easier. But that was definitely more challenging than I thought. Let's talk about why CCNY was the right gig for you. Like like I said, you, you kind of got it late, so it must have come about a little bit later in the process. But you guys are coming off a Sweet 16 appearance at Stack. 
working for Tobin's a good thing. That guy knows how to run a program, obviously. But for you, you know, what made it the decision? What was kind of the decision going into it? Like, hey, I'm going to try to get this job. And then, you know, how did the interview process go from there? Uh, well, first of all, I have no doubt that when someone gives an opportunity to Tobin at the Division One level, they're going to look really, really smart. Um, he's he's Smalls and I talked about it. Like, he at least had a conversation at Iona. I don't know if it was like a formal interview or anything like that, but like, I know they at least talked to him. I, I did hear that. And he's the kind of guy that, like, at some point, you know, so many people know him and he's so like, you know, especially in the in the Northeast, like it's I think it's coming too, Sean. I'd be honest with you. Like, I don't think a lot of guys at the D1 level like have no, have heard his name a ton, like casual fans. But if I had to pick a couple D2 coaches that I thought were really going to get opportunities at D1 level, he'd be on that short list for sure. And then on the East Coast. No, no, no question. I mean, you look at what like Stack and Clarkson were before he got there. And then obviously Hamilton's a good job, but he won at Hamilton, too. I mean, you know, he's he's won everywhere he's gone. So um, you're right. I wasn't in a rush to leave. At the same time, um, I kind of had to evaluate what I wanted to do eventually. And I thought if the right opportunity came up, you know, one of the things was, uh, you know, being a head coach. I, I didn't know if I wanted to be it this year or, or this soon. But if the right school came along, um, I would definitely go for it. And CCNY, like I, I've been surprised about how few people know how much CCNY has to actually offer like the, I don't know if you have either of you guys been to to campus or seen I looked at I looked at the gym a couple of years ago when we were thinking about running an event in New York City and we ended up going to CSI instead because it was uh cheaper and we thought the logistics were better which was definitely not true on the logistics part it certainly was cheaper for sure but I don't know the logistics that's easy and why would have and why would have been tough but I did see like the gym and like the aux gym set up there yeah gotcha um uh, you know, the, the campus is like 12 blocks long. It's unbelievable. Uh, the, the history of the, cam- the campus, um, how it looks. We have the dorms right on campus. Um, you're, you're 10 minutes from Midtown. The, the cost of the school, the history of the school, the location. Um, I'm 15 minutes away from home, you know, a- every day now. And I just thought it was one of those programs that had been down, but had so many things in place to be a really, really good program if the time was put into it um, to do well. Um, you know, getting guys out of state that want to come play in New York City, you know, and, and still have a campus experience um, or getting guys in the city that may have thought they were Division Two or thought they were a scholarship guy that are looking for the, the next best option. You know, you could come to CCNY and, um, you know, we have the lowest tuition in the country um, along with the other CUNYs. So when you get a guy that's so set on, on a scholarship and division two level and, and all that sort of stuff, you know, when that doesn't happen, Hey, why don't you go to a school that, that may be a great fit for you play in the city and, you know, get a good degree. Um, I I think there's a lot there. So I I just thought it was one of those schools, like it had too many things lined up for it that wouldn't be easily accessible in another program. And you must've felt, you must've felt very comfortable in the conference. You'd recruited very well in the conference before as an assistant, you know, you, you were very familiar with all the schools in the conference. So it must've been an easy transition in that regard. Well, the, the thing that, that gave me confidence, like even through this year, my, my first year at John Jay, we had a very similar situation. Like we went three and 22, my first year there. Um, it took Ryan a, a couple of years to get that going. Um, Sean Epps, who was ended up being the all time leading scorer. He was our first recruit there. And, 
Um, he, you know, he ended up being rookie of the year that year. Um, this year we had Yasin Saki at C, you know, at CCNY who, who had a great year and was rookie of the year. Um, but I knew from John Jay, especially like if, if you don't want criminal justice, like you're not going to John Jay. So, so it's a very like particular school. So I said, if we could find a way to make John Jay successful, um, and, and obviously they figured that out over there. Like there's no doubt that we have so many things going for us at CCNY that over time it'll work out. So wait, John Jay is like all criminal justice yeah. majors. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wow. look, there, there are it's other, a, it's a criminal there. justice school. Yeah. I know you know more than me. <laughs> <laughs> so I think my first year, my first year at John Jay, I tried to convince everybody that we were recruiting that it wasn't just criminal justice, even though it was in the name of the school. But, um, you know, later on it became, Hey, we can't miss out on a kid that wants to be in criminal justice. And, um, at CCNY, we have so many other programs and we have a beautiful campus. I, I said, if we could make it work at, at John Jay, you know, we, we could definitely make something happen at CCNY. Yeah. And while we're in this, you know, quarantine setting, we're locked in our houses. We have a lot of time to reflect, but also a lot of time to peer into the future. And I'm sure you're, you know, as soon as the season kind of ended for you, you're looking how to be successful next year and how to build and, and improve. So how are you goal setting and are you goal setting specifically for next year? How are you guys going to get better and reach whatever goals you're going to set? Well, one of the things that we did that I didn't know how it was going to go, but it actually ended up being a good thing for us. We actually had a few practice days left in our 19 weeks after, you know, we didn't make the playoffs. So we gave the guys a couple of days off and we said, anybody who wants to be on this team next year, um, we got workouts starting next week. And we're, we're back in the gym. So it gave us really an opportunity to see how much the guys who wanted to return wanted to be a part of it and that we were pushing past what this season was. And that at least gave me 10 days to kind of get them in the mindset of, hey, we need to get a lot better. And if you want to be a part of this, it's not going to be what it was this year, you know. So uh, for me, that was a good start. And then now, Really, it's just recruiting. Uh, we, we have to recruit and get guys in here. Uh, we were the smallest team in the country. My tallest guy was 6'2". Um, you know, it's just a fact that we need to bring in eight to nine guys that, that seriously upgrade the talent in the room. So we, we got off to a good start with uh, Yassine and, and a couple of transfers that we have coming in. But, um, you know, I think what our goals are will be much more tangible after we find out who we brought in. But program hasn't made the playoffs in the last three years. Um, they've only had two winning seasons in the past 20. So it's, you know, it, it's making the playoffs. It's being competitive and, and kind of getting out of the bottom of the conference. Last question for me. Does, does having, does this April period that's kind of getting shut down with events from obviously what's going on in the country, does that affect you or you're ahead of that so much that it won't necessarily affect you or will it ultimately help you? Being that, and I know that's a terrible thing to say, but that guys, certain guys that you're recruiting might not be playing in the spring or anything like that. How are you approaching that? Oh, it's 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 funny. We we're talking about this as a staff uh, today, as we, as we we're kind of going through things. And and like you said, you have a lot of guys that that wait and play basketball in the spring, and they're kind of hoping for that D two offer. They're hoping for um, some different things to come up late. So you know, for the guys that we've been on for the past five, six, seven months, I, I think it, it helps us a little bit in terms of they know what our interest level has been and maybe they're more ready to make a decision. 
Um, I think what really hurts us is we've had a lot of new guys added to our list that haven't seen campus. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're not, allowed, we're not allowed to bring guys on campus right now. So yeah, no one is terrible. Um, so, you know, I was even thinking of, of going on campus and doing like my own virtual tour and kind of like sharing it with the guys and um, kind of making it as much of a visit as they can without being there. But I think one of the best things we have to sell is that guys are really surprised when they see campus, how, how big it is, how nice it is, you know, what we have going on. And, um, you know, now for some of the guys that haven't visited yet, they won't, they won't get that. So um, that part's tough, but hopefully we get some guys from, from the ones that we've been recruiting hard for the past few months. Yeah. I, I, I've had that conversation with a couple of people smalls, like about what, it, what's the difference here? Like if you're on guys, like they don't get a chance to really get discovered. And if you have the best relationship with them and they don't get a chance to take a campus visit anywhere else or an in-home visit, it might work to your advantage. And it's a, it's kind of an interesting example of like trying to get your work done early, I guess, but it's very hard at the D2 and D3 level to get your work done early because your list just, like you said, Sean, like it just always gets bigger. Like you're just constantly adding guys. Well, I, I think too, to, to go along with what you're saying is like you have your list of guys that you've been recruiting since the summer. And then obviously guys start to make their commitments and you figure out, you know, who, who's going to come and who's not. And then all of a sudden, once you, you have that list figured out, a whole new list comes along, especially at a school like ours where we have rolling admissions. You know, we'll, we'll have a whole new list in, in March and April now where it's just a bunch of new guys that were transferring, coming home, um, that were around later than they thought, and they weren't thinking D3, and now they are. So really it's like that group of guys that I guess it, it hurts us with the most. But, um, you know, like our, our recruiting, we'll, we'll still be recruiting some guys in, in, in July, I'm sure, for this year. Um, and, and then hopefully in future years, as we need less and less guys each year, um, you know, we can get our recruiting done much earlier, but that's just kind of the nature of it right now. All right. Last question for me. You mentioned your wife earlier. Uh, this is your first year as a head coach. It gets a little bit different in terms of kind of like balancing work and life. But for you, how do you go about that, Sean? You do live close to campus, which is obviously very is a very good thing. But you know, how have you kind of managed it, especially in this first year as a head coach? It's kind of funny because her job is way more important and way more challenging than <laughs> mine is. Like, I love to hear. It. I love to hear it, man. She's an assistant district attorney for the city, and um, like, I'll get home from recruiting, and sometimes she'll still be at work. Um, so you know, a lot of guys they're trying to balance being home enough and. You know, uh, I'll just say this. Danielle's not home at five o'clock waiting for me to come home. So, um, you know, I think that in one way has been really good for me because a lot of nights when I have to recruit or do what I have to do, um, she kind of likes it too, because, you know, she could work later. She can kind of have her own life a little bit. Um, but I think the challenge then becomes like, Hey, we both have to make sure that, that we're spending enough time together. Um, so sometimes like that, that might be going into work a little bit later and having breakfast together. Um, or just making sure we have a date night once a week. But I always laugh when like people talk about like, oh, coaching is so hard and you know, we don't get to see our families much. And it's all true. But I'm like, man, she works way harder and, and way more than than I do. Like I, I get home and I'm exhausted and she's coming home and she, she still has all this energy and I'm just like, I, I don't know how you do it. Um so so from that standpoint, um, it's been great in terms of the freedom to recruit and do what I need to do, but it's just really making sure there's the balance of, of making sure you have time for each other and, 
I think with this quarantine, we might have a little more time than uh, than anticipated together, which which might not be a bad thing. No, absolutely. Uh, all right, I got one coach before you because, like I said, I kind of stole the other one from from before. I pulled the smalls and cut my legs out from under me on the coach speaks, but. This is our guy, Buzz Williams. He had a very uh, well-publicized press conference after they beat Arkansas to win their 10th SEC game. He did a great job, one SEC coach of the year. Buzz, come on, create your shot. It'll be a lot of fun, buddy. But he said, I mean this without arrogance. They, meaning our guys, beaten a lot of those teams, and they beat those teams not because of their talent. They beat those teams because many times in life, what's invisible is the most important. Somebody's hunger, how much they love one another, how hard they try, how hard they work how together they are in the fight, there's not a ceiling to that. And that's like a classic coach speak. So great. It gets plastered all over Twitter. But I do want to know, Sean, you know, how do you know, how do you get the best out of your players in, in, in sort of intangible things? Like you've coached on some very good teams. You've worked with some very good head coaches. But like, you know, for you, kind of what's been the trick to like, you know what, I think we need to get closer as a team or I need to get these guys to bond together. You know, what's kind of like your secrets to unlocking what's invisible, according to Buzz Williams? Um, yeah, I definitely saw the quote uh, a bunch when it originally came out. I think, and th- this comes from Tobin and Ryan, honestly, and working with those guys. Um, guy, guys need to know that you really care about them, and, and that really helps you push them further because they know you want them to be really successful. And the other thing, too, is like building confidence and being prepared. And, and I think that's why we got through some of the tougher times. And we were probably in some games that we shouldn't have been in this year because guys felt, hey, we were as prepared as we could be. They knew we believed in them and, and we knew we were going to try to get better and, and compete every day. Um, so I, I do think there is something to be said for a team's confidence when they enjoy playing for each other and they feel like they're prepared. Um, and, and then that, that ceiling can kind of get raised by any sort of bit of success, you know? So, um, for, for us, that was the big thing because we, we knew wins were going to be hard to come by. Like we, we knew that, that was going to be the case. So, so for us, it was how are we going to get the most out of this group and, you know, keep them focused on, on getting better. So I think when they know you care about them and they think that, you know, I, I felt one of the things Tobin was great at is he made you think in any huddle that no matter what, you were the toughest team and the most prepared team, no matter what, whether that was true or not. Like we worked really, really hard, but our guys never left a timeout thinking that the other team was tougher or more prepared than they were. And for us, we tried to get that same mentality as much as we could this year. But um, so, yeah, that's what I took from it. But I definitely agree with it that especially when your talent's a little more limited, those things can kind of take you above the expectations. And, and I think coaches like Buzz, and, and I, I know there are plenty of good coaches and, and coaches around the country, but like that's kind of always been his thing, right? Same thing with you said with Tobin, like they're going to make you believe in the huddle that like you can win games. I remember it with, with Fran Dunphy, like we never ever felt like we walked into an arena and we couldn't win. When we had Kansas, number one in the country, come to our building Remember this game, Smalls? You remember this on New Year's yeah, Day? They beat yeah. the living piss they, out of they us. They beat the absolute doors off us. It was we were down thirty. Like it was Marky, it was the Morris twins, Sharon Collins, whatever. Yeah. I remember walking out, and I remember Ryan Brooks jumping up and down and being so excited because it was like, man, we get the we get to play the number one team in the country, and like our guys believed they could win. And then you know, ten minutes in, maybe they didn't believe <laughs> as much anymore. But it really was like that type of moment where you're like, damn, like this is this is why you play, you know? And I think there are a lot of coaches like that. And that's why I think this buzz quote, and again, there's so many good buzz ones. And like, I want to get him on the show so bad because I want to just read him like 40 of his like 
greatest hits because they're just every they're all out there. But I totally agree with you. It's like, how do you convince guys that you care about them to the point where like you just won't let them fail? You know, and I think that's one of the biggest things in coaching. I totally agree. We had we had one of those moments. So we started we started zero and seventeen this year, uh, which, which was something I never ever envisioned um, happening. And uh, we we lost our, our last game before we got a win. We lost by like thirty five points. It was awful awful night. I thought we like lost the team, and we just came back into practice next day and we just said, hey here's how we're approaching every day. And like, we have confidence in you. And if you've lost that and us or each other, like then, then just go do something else with your time. And it, you know, the guys just kind of snapped back into it and stopped feeling sorry for themselves. And, you know, then we won the next game and went on a little bit of a run, but, um, but yeah, I, I found that like the confidence goes a long way and, and they appreciated that the coaches were so invested in them doing well. And that helped us out a lot. All right. We're heading into city review our next segment. You're taking us to a little place called Astoria. It's a commercial neighborhood in Queens, New York. Uh, it's known a little bit for its Greek cafes, I believe, and traditional, you know, ethnic eateries. So I'm excited to hear about this. A lot of good spots. Give us three restaurants, two bars or night spots, and one activity, baby. Hit it. Uh, awesome. Well, Astoria is great. Uh, hundreds of spots and and now you're teasing me because I can't go to any of them right now. Um, but once they, once they open up again, uh, the three places I would go, um, this place, Queens comfort, awesome brunch. Um, it's kind of like a retro restaurant. They have like uh, a lot of eighties, nineties themed comics, TV, you know, old, a lot of things going on. Um, a very eclectic menu. So a great brunch spot. Um, you'll probably need to go to sleep for about four hours after you're done there. Um, what else? Arepas Cafe, awesome spot. Great, great sandwiches. You can get an amazing meal, three-course meal for about 20 bucks. Um, beers are like five bucks. You, you can have a great night there. And then uh, Sugar Freak, which is uh, soul, soul food, um, New Orleans spot. that's right up here on 30th Ave. Another great spot to go out. I got a couple questions. Yeah. Sandwich order. You got one sandwich. What are you getting? Oof. Uh, probably, probably a shrimp po' boy. Oh, there you go. I wasn't expecting that. I like that answer. And now soul food wise, what's the best dish? Uh, probably the, the, the mac and cheese and the, the fried chicken and biscuits. Very healthy. Very healthy. Yeah. No, that's that's a coach's meal for sure. Now, the mac and cheese got a little crumble on the top. It, does, it's yeah, it has the breadcrumbs on top. Nice toast. That's when layer. you know it's good. Very, very nice. So, um, always enjoy there. Uh, in terms of places to go out, there's a, a, a beer garden, Bohemian Beer Garden, which is awesome. Huge outdoor area, lots of TVs. A great spot, spring and summer, just, just really low key. Um, you can get huge beers for like seven, eight bucks and, and just kind of hang out. It's a shorts and t-shirt type of place. Um, I, I prefer afternoon going out now than the night going out. So totally like, with you. if I could be, if I could be home by seven and have had a great afternoon, like I, I'm in great shape. So Bohemian beer garden kind of caters to that crowd and a break bar, which is like a sports bar, um, you know, ping pong pool, ton of TVs. Uh, it gets really crowded at night. has has an awesome vibe. Uh, that would be a good spot. And I think that was it, right? I think just, I covered everything. We, we just need one activity. Um, this is gonna sound really lame, but I've I've like I've city I've city bike, so I like to to there. There's a bunch of parks around here, and you can go right along the river. So 
either playing pickup or going riding along the river there in the in the parks is is uh, probably an activity I would do. So do you have a city bike membership or are you just like paying as you go? Like, how does uh, that work? I have, I have a full year membership. I'm committed. You know, this is, this is, uh, it was either that or running. So I committed to the, the city bike membership and, uh, it's going well so far. So we'll, we'll see if I can keep it up. And how are the, and this is my last question on city bike. They look a little bulky, a little heavy. How are yeah. the, they are. Okay. I try yeah, I mean, I, well, now they have the uh, they have the electric booster uh, bikes, which uh, are probably concerning. There were some brake issues the the first time they they released those, so um, I've hesitated to try those out. But I just try to not go up too many hills, you know, and, and I'm okay with the bulky bike. Smart move. I you like got it. you got all your info there on your on your city bike membership, yeah. Smalls. Yeah, man. I've always been curious. I've never wandered down the city. I'm scared to ride in Philly, like ride a bike in Philadelphia. I just feel like. I'm in a car. You know, I don't like bikers that much. I don't want to be a biker. So, you know, I, I, love, it. I love it. I love it. It's at least they got, they still got the scooters in New York, Sean. They got rid of them in Nashville before I left. Too many people were like the, the, the rebel, the rebel bikes are like the, the ones you, the, the ones you sit on, like the bigger. No, 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 no. Like, like the actual, like motorized, like, like city scooter. bike, yeah, but scooters. But it, they were called like birds or like uh, limes. Jump. Or, jump yeah I'm sure, well the the big one here that not as many of those but the big one now is rebel rebel which is like they call it a scooter but it's really like a it's, it's kind of like a motor cycle but like, yeah like a vespa very similar so that's become the big thing here um you know just park it where wherever you want and then you could just go in the app and and find one wherever it is and, and kind of go so oh yeah that's see that's safer than the like stand on the scooters get like inebriated and act like an idiot like things were happening in nashville and then and then nashville's like this is way too much liability we, we gotta get out of here we gotta get these they, these can't be here uh all right let's go to 10 touches i got the first five sean who's the funniest person you've ever worked with or coached uh, definitely funniest person would be Wade Cornegay, who I, I coached with at, uh, at John Jay. He also has the, the best beard of any coach that I, that I know. Um, I think you would be impressed. And he, uh, he actually lives two blocks away from me now. So we still hang out all the time. Um, but, but yeah, definitely funniest person I've worked with. He does have quite a beard. I have seen him on the recruiting trail. I just Googled him just to make sure it was who I thought it was. But yeah, I've seen him recruit before too. Yes, he, he does have a hell of a beard. It's it's impressive. Uh, what's your worst basketball travel experience? So I, I was thinking about this a little bit earlier today. Um, it was actually this year. Um, I'm not going to name my assistant coach who this happened with, but um, we actually went to play Yeshiva, who had an awesome year. They were in the Sweet 16 before things, uh, you know, things got shut down. But Yeshiva is like three miles away from CCNY. So this should have been the easiest trip of the year. Uh, first of all, we, we got up there, we drove our two vans up there. Um, it was pouring rain. It was, it was just an awful day. Uh, Yeshiva blew the doors off of us and, you know, we're getting ready to leave and I'm waiting outside. And uh, one of my assistants went to go get one of the vans and I saw the van down the block, but it wasn't moving. And it turns out he had, he had cut the turn a little too sharply and got it caught on a parked limo bus. So we were sitting there. We had to send the guys home in the other van and I ended up sitting outside with them in the rain for about five hours until we could get the van uh, towed off the, the limo bus. <laughs> you get oh my the God. City College. So 
that was actually the the first scrimmage I had here as a head coach. So um, it was a very eventful day, but I said, hey, it can only it can only get better from, from here. <laughs> yeah, real real ominous ominous event for your first ever like live game experience. But that's the most ironic part is it was only three miles away from our, our school, so it it should have been ideally the easiest trip of the year. Yeah, Smalls and I were were laughing about that. Michael Sweetney is an assistant at Yeshiva. And we did not, we did not know that. And that Michael Sweetie is apparently like a big, like he's a big fella, obviously in in person, but he's also like a big part of the Jewish basketball community now, which is quite interesting. And I learned that doing some research on Yeshiva over the last couple of weeks, just because they were very good. And I wanted to know a little bit more about them. Well, one of my, one of my great bright ideas when I got the coaching job was, Hey, let's go schedule a team. That's going to be really good this year. And, you know, we could show our guys what it's like to play against a good program. And I walk in the gym and, and Ryan Terrell is doing 360 dunks. And, you know, all of a sudden I look at the other bench and I said, is that Michael Sweetney? You remember the name? And, and uh, one of the coaches came over and he said, hey, I want you to meet our new assistant coach, Michael Sweetney. And I, I, it was just a poor, poor planning by me. Uh, a lot of surprises. But, uh, but yes, yes. Uh, the biggest surprise was that Michael Sweetney was coaching Chiba for sure. Uh, all right. I'm going to skip the TV shows. We already talked about that. Uh, you said you didn't want to be a teacher. So I, I'd like to get another answer than teacher for this, but if you weren't coaching, what you, what would you be doing? Do you think? Uh, I'd probably be a pilot. Really? Uh, a pilot. Yeah. Well, love flying. Um, I have a couple friends. Uh, one, one of them flies for Delta and another one, um, is kind of moving up the ranks right now. So, so probably, probably that it looks awesome. Very cool. Uh, who's the best player you ever, you ever game plan for? Probably Tim Gears. Oh, yeah. uh, was at St. A's. You, you guys know him well. Um, oh, yeah. and, uh, I did not do a good job game planning for him. Um, as they, they beat us in the sweet 16 last year, but, uh, he, he was just so tough. Like he was, you know, he could shoot it post up. He was a great passer. He, he could do a little bit of everything. So, um, definitely the toughest guy I've, I've scouted. All right, I'm gonna take one. More. I'm gonna take one more smalls because uh, that was only four. So yeah, I want to hear myself talk for a little while longer. Yeah, I want to hear you talk way more. I've missed your voice. If you could change one thing about college basketball, what would it be? Oh, uh, um, well, at the D3 level, I'd love to work with our guys outside of the season. Um, that would be that would be one. Two, uh, I think I, we got to get the flop rule under control a little bit. I don't know what your guys' thoughts have been on it um but definitely been called very aggressively this year and i think it's going to take a little while to figure out um when to call it when not to call it so yeah i would we we had it happen to us a bunch in the beginning of the year and not so much later in the year i think it was just an excuse for a ref missing a call or whatever but i do think we can just get rid of it by eliminating you know the charge uh, and like just it's not it's i don't know it, it's it's tough to call a flop when a kid's heading down the lane full speed out of control uh, type of situation. I do think kids flop in the post. That's what I saw. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's so subjective. Now you're just adding another layer to charge and block, which is already a, who knows what, what's it. Yeah. And then you're throwing in the head bob, you know, out on the yeah. perimeter and, and all that sort of stuff. So I think, like you said, it's just really hard to call that consistently. and. All of a sudden, you get two of those in a game, and it's a technical foul. I think that's a tough, 
a tough pressure to put on officials. It drove it me I mean, we were small, so we were trying to take charge. We had a charge wall in the locker room, so I was encouraging our guys to take like 10-plus charges a game. So <laughs> we had this called against us a, a good amount this year. What's your best moment as a coach? Um, probably our first win with uh, my team that, that I was in uh, Jamaica with just because we, we literally built up that program from, from nothing. Uh, that, that was pretty awesome. And then honestly getting a head coaching job, like a few years ago, I, I did not think when I got into this, that this was, um, an option or something that would be available this, this early on in, in my coaching career. So, um, that was pretty awesome too, just to get to this point and, and see where it goes. What's your pregame routine? I don't really have a routine. My, my routine is like stay as far away from my team as, as possible for a bit. Like I can't stand watching them warm up. Um, it, you know, it, it drives me nuts because some guys I feel like are going too, too light or they're taking it too seriously and you can never get a good sense of, of where guys are mentally. So I found out for myself, just kind of let assistant coaches handle that and I'll just stay away from the team. So usually just having a cup of coffee, watching, watching another game if it's on before ours. And just kind of hanging out a bit. That's really it. Love it. Favorite and least favorite practice drill? Uh, three man weave, by far my least favorite practice drill. And uh, we do a lot of uh, transition stuff. So I, I love a lot of continuous, uh, you know, um, two on one, three on two, four on three, that sort of stuff. Um, anything we can do with that um, where we're competing and, and working on the fundamentals are, are, are drills I like, but yeah, three man weave. You'll, you'll never see that in a practice. Mind. For sure. And uh, obviously our decathlon at the final four was, uh, you know, canceled, canceled, canceled. but we're gonna we're still, we're just gives us more time to gather data and gather contestants for next year. What's your best bar barbecue type game? Many people would probably disagree with me on this, but uh, I do think I'm a pretty decent ping pong player. Oh yeah, so that's there. You go. It's definitely not pool. Um, I tried to play that the other day in a group, and uh, it was kind of embarrassing. So I think I scratched on the eight ball about three times. So I, you know, I'm gonna stick to ping pong. But yeah, I'm not good at any of them. I, I pegged you. I pegged you for darts after your pilot uh, answer. Just like the great vision, like being able to you know focus in and line up a bullseye or line up a cricket sixteen triple. Like that would be my guess, but. I like the ping pong. That's hand-eye coordination, baby. Well, I didn't say I had great hand-eye coordination. I just said I wanted to be a pilot. So <laughs> that doesn't mean that I have a, a good dark player. But, but yeah, like I guess I'm not very good at any of them. But if I had to pick one, I'd be ping pong. Well, okay. You're going to be a 16th seed, and maybe you can pull off a UMBC at next year's Final Four uh, when we have the decathlon. Two podcast guests we need to have on. Uh, I think if you get Tobin on, I think that would be awesome. Uh, just, just the energy, uh, you know, he'll, you know, he'll give you more than enough to talk about. And, um, I, I don't know if you guys had Ryan on, um, Ryan Highland, but I think he'd be great. I think they'd both be great. Um, good interviews, um, you know, very genuine, very different experiences. So I think those two guys would be awesome. We've definitely communicated with Tobin about it before. It just kind of like fell off smalls, right? Like we had talked about it and he was like, I'll give you some times. And then busy guy, busy guy. But now everybody's got free time. Like I said, everybody. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, all right, parting shots. Same two questions to every guest. I got the first one. Sean, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Um, best advice would probably be don't don't compare myself to to anybody else 
you know, as I'm kind of going through this and trying to get better, it, it just focused on what I can bring to the table. I think that was really hard for me early on because, like I said, I didn't have a lot of the same backgrounds as a lot of the other guys in terms of playing experience or being associated with a, a particular program in college. So I think it was very easy to say, well, I, I wasn't here. I didn't have this or I didn't have that. And for me, it was like once I got past all that and I just found an opportunity and I was like, hey, I'm just going to find a way to get better. That's what really helped me. So um, that, that would definitely be the best advice is just kind of focus on what you're doing and what you bring to the table and, and keep, keep getting better. All right. Face to face with your 22 year old self. What are you telling that person? Um, probably be more patient and just kind of enjoy, enjoy the ride. I think a lot of times early on, I just like looked at whatever was next, the next step for me. And I probably didn't enjoy as much as of what I was doing at the time. So that would be the biggest thing. Um, and then do what you, do what you want to do. You know, I, I think it's easy to kind of be boxed into to doing certain things in your career. And at that time, I would have been just like, why not? You have everything in front of you, so go for it. No, very, very good advice. And you have certainly done that, I would say. And I, I always appreciate that when people, you know, a lot of times they like look back on things and they kind of are like, oh, I wish I'd done this differently. But I, I think it's it's fun to hear people be like, you know what, I this is something I want to go for and, and I'm going to take the bull by the horns, you know? And I, I think, not to speak in cliches, I do like doing that, but I think that's very, very good. Uh, Sean, I appreciate it, man. Like I, I, I we want to get back into this and want to continue to pump out as much content as possible. And so I'm really happy that you kind of gave us the time. I know that We've been joking about how like everybody has time on their hands, but I know it's, it is different. You know, you want to watch a lot of film, you want to try to figure out how to get better, but people are kind of, you know, out of work and whatnot. So I appreciate you giving us the time to, uh, to come on and talk to us uh, tonight, especially about your team. Cause I know like, you know, as a first year head coach, it's always tough, a little bit tougher to kind of be more, you know, self-reflective, I would guess right after your first season. Cause you haven't really had a chance to try some new things out. So I appreciate the honesty and authenticity, and I just wanted to let you know that before we signed off. No, I, I appreciate you guys having me on. I think the show is awesome. You've had a lot of great guests, so, so I'm just happy to, to be here and, and, and keep it going. It's a, it's a great show. I appreciate that. He is at Sean underscore Clores, S-E-A-N-C-L-O-R-E-S. So give him a follow. And uh, Sean, we will talk soon. I, this is the time of year. I always say, like, we'll see you at the Final Four. We won't see you at the Final Four, but... Uh, we will monitor, and if we can ever do anything to help, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. All right, man? Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Sean.